This is the West Concord Sermon Podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you receive a blessing from today's message. And welcome to Worship with West Concord once again. Last Sunday, we had a great day of worship and celebration as we remembered our Lord's resurrection and celebrated that. But today, we're going to jump back into our series, Inside Out, Discipleship as God Intended. Now, if you remember, we've been in John chapter 15 for a couple of weeks. Because in John chapter 15, Jesus, as he had just finished uh, instituting the Lord's Supper, he did the last Passover the night before he was to be crucified. And he was walking out into the garden and he knew the next day he was going to be crucified just in a matter of hours. And so he was giving his disciples sort of some last encouragements, knowing that he would be crucified, buried, rise again, And then just a short time later, he would ascend to heaven and the church of Jesus Christ would be born. And so he's giving them some understanding of relationships, what it means and what it's going to mean as they go forward in this world without his physical presence. Now, they would have his spiritual presence, as we'll talk about a little bit later. But they're going to be going forward without his spiritual presence. So in John chapter 15, as they're walking through the garden, the vineyards around the temple, He talks to them, and if you remember in the first seven verses, about the relationship between uh, we and God, our relationship with God as through Jesus Christ, our vine, God is the vine dresser in the garden, and uh, we are the branches and how we draw sustenance and life from him as we make ourselves at home in him. And then the next section in John chapter 15, we looked at a couple of uh, weeks ago, about three weeks ago, was our relationship with one another in the vineyard as we seek to try to get along with each other. And that summary, of course, talks about sacrificial love. In a summarization, that speaks of sacrificial love. And so now we're looking at the third relationship that Jesus is going to cover with them. And this is not as as sweet and nice as we would like it to sound. And that is our relationship with the world. In other words, as the church abides and lives in the world, we have to interact with the world. Our mission is to win the world. And so he's going to share with them what their relationship with the world is is going to be like and it's and it's not what we would like to hear but it's what they needed to hear and it's what we needed to hear so jesus talks to them about the world's attitude toward what will become the church what the world's attitude will be toward them and this morning we're going to camp out again in john chapter 15 and we're going to begin in verse 18 this morning when jesus begins speaking of the world now let me leave you with this quote or let me begin with this quote rather from Warren Wearsby, a wonderful man of God who's gone home to be with the Lord, a great Bible scholar. He said this about Jesus speaking of the world in this passage. He said, of course, the world, Jesus means, is the whole system of society that is opposed to Christ and the Father. It's opposed to Christ and the Father. We've already looked at them in this chapter. He goes on to say, it is made up of people, organizations, philosophies, and purposes that are anti-Christian. In other words, he's talking about the world system, the fallen world, the rebellious world. And yet we as Christians, we are still living in the world. We're still here. And with that, he likens that to an illustration. He says the old illustration of the ship and the water still applies. Think of a ship floating on the water. There is nothing wrong with the ship 
while being in the water. It's got to be in the water. But when the water gets into the ship, watch out. So he's going to tell them, look, here's the dynamic or the relationship between the church, between his disciples and the world. We, not, we need not become worldly, but we need to be careful that as we go through the world, that we stay above those circumstances. In other words, we're in the world, not of it. But yes, we're still in the world. We're still going to deal with the world. Again, let me just share with you what, uh, what John said in 1 John chapter 2 when talking about what we're going to focus on, that kind of world system. He says in 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 15, he says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. Say, Pastor Mike, doesn't that contradict with John 3.16? No, and I'll show you why in a little while. He says, Do not love the world nor the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. And of course, the will of God is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, to ultimately be saved out of the world. So again, I know again, as I said, you're thinking of John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. Well, you say, well, if God loves the world, how is it now through his word, he tells us not to love the world? Well, again, as Jesus spoke of the world and as we're speaking of the world here, we have to keep some terms in mind. I want to share with you four uses of the term world in scripture. And these are all contextually defined. And I don't have time to list them and unpack them here. But as you read your Bible and the world uh, pops up, the word world pops up, you can have to just check the context and see which one of these it's talking about. And of course, the first one is the planet that we live on, the cosmos, the world, the planet that we're here, that we're here on. The second one is the people. You know, we talk about the whole people are threatened uh, by COVID. The whole world is threatened by COVID. Uh, so he talks about the planet sometimes, the people. Also the philosophy of the world, the world's philosophy, the world system. The Bible says the devil, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, that the devil is the God of this world. And he's speaking of the world system. And then also there are times when it's used of a time period or an age. When he talks about the end of the world, Jesus is referring to the, the, the end of the age. The Greek word there is ion or ion, which means an age. So four terms used for world in scripture refer to the planet, the people, the philosophy of the world, and the period of the world system. And of course, we're going to focus kind of interchangeably on these today as we talk about the world and how the world feels about us. What is our relationship with the world and why is that necessary to understand that? Let's have a word of prayer and then we'll dive into John 15. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the privilege of yet again being able to be online together today. Father, we are able to accomplish things that Paul and Peter and James and John could not have imagined in their day. But of course, Father, they did things well beyond what we can imagine without all the technology and all of the things that we have. So Father, the key is to trust in you with this. So Lord, I commit this message to you, whether it goes over the internet, whether it's on a podcast, Father, or, or however somebody receives it, I pray that it will do its job and reach into the heart. Father, bless the hearer, bless, Lord, those who receive it, and may we grow closer to you because of it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So Jesus is still in the vineyard in John chapter 15. He's already spoken of our relationship with God the Father. He speaks of our relationship with each other in the vineyard. And now we're going to kind of journey outside the vineyard in a sense. You know, we're always part of the vineyard, even as we go about our lives in the world. You know, just like we are the church. The church is not a building. The church is a living body. We are the church. We are the church wherever we go. And that's the way we are with God's vineyard. We are God's vineyard and branches wherever we go, but we venture out into the world. We're not to hide from the world. We're not to close ourselves off from the world. We're to venture out in the world. But there's something we need to understand. Now, oftentimes we think of Jesus as love and the relationships built on love. But I want you to notice in verse 18 what Jesus says. He says, if the world hates you, stop there for a minute. We don't like that word hate. But the fact of the matter is this word appears eight times in this passage. Jesus makes reference to hate eight times in this passage. And this word is what he is using to describe the dynamic between the world and his disciples. In other words, the world hates us. The world hates us. You know, we spend so much time trying to get people to like us and we like it when people like us, don't we? I mean, we like to make friends. We want to be accepted. We want people to appreciate us for what we do, who we are. We like to be liked. We don't like uh, to be unliked. We don't like for people to dislike us. And I think to a certain extent, that's a good thing. But I think when it comes to the broader picture of the church and our existence in the world, we need to realize as long as we stand with Christ, as we're going to see, the world is not going to like us and we should never expect the world to like us. And I think so many churches have compromised. So many Christians have laid low and, and have begun to go along to get along because they'd rather be liked than glorify God. But listen, if you're going to glorify God, you're not going to be liked by the world. First of all, I want you to notice as we continue, the world hates us. Why? Well, first of all, because of our savior, the world is going to hate us and hates us and that is a strong word, but listen, I didn't come up with it. It's the word Jesus used. And the world hates us because of our Savior. Look what he says in verse 18. He says, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. In a sense, Jesus is saying, look, you're going to be hated by the world. Don't take it personally. It's not that the world hates you personally. It's not that the world is against you. The world hates you, he said, because it hated me first. Why? How do we know that? Well, if you just look at the Gospels and read about the life of Jesus from his announcement to his birth, uh, Jesus was hated from, from the beginning, from his birth. Herod, you know, when King Herod, when Jesus was born and his birth was announced, Herod was frightened. He was politically frightened and he, and he was jealous and he was afraid and he hated Jesus and he sent out soldiers to kill all the male children two years old and younger because he hated Jesus, wanted to wipe him out. And so Herod, even at his birth, Jesus was hated. And of course that hatred came as he went and grew older from the religious leaders, from the political zealots, until finally to his cross where that hatred was on full display. When the hatred of the world against Jesus, against God the Father, against all things holy and righteous, found its, its nadir in the cross when Jesus was crucified agonizingly there. So the world hates us 
because it hated him. And we are hated now because of our new birth. They hated Jesus from his birth, but we're hated now because of our birth. Look at verse 19. He says, if you are of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. In other words, when you got saved, you were born again into God's family. And from that moment, if you started walking with him and living for him, you began to swim against the world's tide. You begin to go against the world's philosophy. You begin to make choices and to go in places and do things against the way the world thinks they shouldn't be done or should be done. We, we, we went against them. And so from our new birth, when we receive Christ as our savior and salvation, because of the cross, the world hates us. And so again, it's not personal, it's spiritual. They hate us because they first hated him. No, it's not a pleasant thought. No, it's not all about love, cookies, and kindness. It's difficult to understand and difficult to hear. But please understand this again, just in these two verses, he uses the word hate or hated or hatred four times. He's wanting to make this point. As a believer in Jesus Christ, if you are going to be a disciple, if you're going to be a follower, if you're going to walk with him and as he walked, the world hates you and will continue to hate you. And there is nothing you can do short of abandoning Christianity and compromising Christ to get them to love you. So understand this. Yes, the world hates us because the world hates us because of our Savior. Hated Jesus from birth and hates us because of our new birth. Not only that, but Jesus continues with this. He talks about how the world hates us because of our service to him. The world hates us because of our service to him. Look at verse 20 and uh, 21 and 22. He says, remember the word I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. He said this earlier in this gospel. In other words, as you serve, your master is greater. You're not going to be greater than your master. When you and I receive Christ as our savior, and then we subsequently submit to him as our Lord and we follow him and we walk with him, he becomes our master. We become his servant. We become his, his servants as we serve him. And a servant is not greater than his master. So if he's hated, yeah, we're going to be hated. And so he says, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, and we, we know they did, uh, they will persecute you also. If they kept my word, they would keep yours also. But again, as they identified with him as their master, and as they served him, they, they encountered guilt by association. You know, that's why when I was growing up, maybe you were growing up, your mom and dad or whatever did not want you to hang around with certain kids for various reasons. Uh, you, maybe they were mischievous kids that caused trouble. They didn't want you to get mixed up in that. Or maybe they just didn't want you to be identified with that group. Because, you know, we might be guilty until proven innocent. Uh, does that really play out in our culture today? No, oftentimes we're guilty because of association. Just because we are with somebody or some organization or we were there at a wrong time in a wrong place. We're guilt by association. Listen, if you are a servant of Jesus Christ, you are guilty by associating with Jesus, by following him, by walking with him, serving him. But understand how it turns around. Look what he says as we look at verse 21. 
But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would, not, they would have no sin. Now that doesn't mean they would not be sinners. We're all sinners from Adam and Eve on, on forward. We don't sin because, we're not, we're not sinners because we sin, we sin because we're sinners. But they would not be as guilty of it. They would not have it proven to them as we're gonna see in just a moment. But he said, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would have not known sin. In other words, they would not have been aware of their sinfulness as specifically. But now they have no excuse for their sin. So, yep, we're guilty by associating with Jesus Christ, but also this, they associate their own guilt with Jesus Christ because Jesus, God's perfect son, God in the flesh, he, he exploded their sin. He revealed their sin. He revealed the religious hypocrisies of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He revealed the immoral nature of humanity. As he walked those very three so brief years on earth, he demonstrated their own sinfulness by his own perfection. And so it's sort of a flipped coin. We are guilty by association with Jesus from the world's eyes, but as they have encountered Jesus and his perfection, they're associating their guilt. They're, they're, it's been pointed out to them. You're not religious enough to be saved. You're not good enough to be saved. None of us are. Matter of fact, when you try to share with certain people that they need a savior, oh, they get offended. I'm not a sinner. I don't need a savior. And then when you begin to share the gospel, people get angry. And they say, oh, you're just trying to shove Jesus down my throat because they're associating their guilt with their savior. So the world hates us because of our savior and the world hates us because of our service because they associate us with Jesus. And as Jesus becomes more real to them and as the holiness of Christ becomes more bright in their lives, they see their own sinfulness. I mean, that's where salvation starts. One cannot be saved unless one sees his or own sinfulness first and understand this. That's not a pleasant thing. We don't like our flaws pointed out. We don't like our shortcomings displayed. We don't want stuff shown to us that is negative about us. And that's what Jesus, he did. He came as the white, hot, bright light of holiness in this world and, 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 their, and their flaws were glaring and they hated that. And so they associated their guilt with Jesus. And that's why people hate us. Uh, people don't like the stances that we take which takes us to our next point. They hate us because of our savior. They hate us because of our service. And the world also hates us because of our stance, because of the choices we make, because of the biblical morality we seek to live. Now, of course, we're not perfect. None of us are, but as we seek to follow Jesus, as we seek to walk with him and emulate him in Christ-likeness, it is going to change our moral makeup. We're going to be different from the world. We're gonna be very different from the world and it's going to be a problem to them. Look as we go down into verse 23, what he says. He says, he who hates me, here's the, here are those words again. He who hates me hates my father also. There's another aspect as we looked at our last point, guilt by association. There's hatred toward God because God sent Jesus. God the Father sent God the Son, and then we're gonna see God the Spirit involved in just a little while. But Jesus said, he who hates me, verse 23, hates my Father also. 
If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. In other words, they would not see, they would not, they would not have their sin revealed. They would have sin, but they just wouldn't perceive it or see it. He says, but now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. And so God, the father's message, Jesus is his living message. The scriptures are his written message, but God, the father's message is as a mirror that reveals the flaws. You know, we like to think of ourselves differently. We like to have better thoughts of ourselves than we really truly are. And uh, if you want to see reality and it's raw, go get a good, accurate mirror and look at yourself. Isn't that rough in the morning when you get up after you get out of bed and you walk in the bathroom to get ready for the day? And what's the first thing staring at you? Your face in the mirror. And I don't know about you, it's not a pretty sight when I go in there. And I do everything I can to make it look better, but I find the older I get, the more difficult it is. Never was easy to begin with, didn't have much to work with. But you know what? The closer we get to a mirror, the more flaws that we see, the more problems that we see. And quite frankly, the closer we get to the Lord and the closer the Lord gets to us, the more flaws are revealed, the more shortcomings, the more sinfulness, the more immorality is, is there. Jesus was coming to the world to remind them, yes, you are in rebellion. You are sinful. You know, again, we don't want to hear that. The world doesn't want to see itself as bad. As a matter of fact, modern psychology, ever since Sigmund Freud likes to tell people, oh, you're just basically good. And everybody's just basically good. If everybody just had enough education and money, why, we would have utopia. You know, I love science fiction. I enjoy watching Star Wars and Star Trek. Those are fun, but they're fantasy. And oftentimes their messages are really askew because one of the messages of, for instance, the show like Star Trek and its ongoing story is that that is supposed to take place when the world gets over all of its wars and famines and sicknesses and diseases, when people start stop fighting and arguing. As a matter of fact, even in that time period, we're not even supposed to use money. As far as the Star Trek writers are concerned, you should be able to go into a restaurant and just have a meal and not have to pay for it because the person there just loves to cook and they just love to provide it. And the, and the farmer and the produce people are going to provide them the food because they just love to grow food. Profit is not necessary anymore because we're going to love each other and just give stuff away. Doesn't that sound nice? Doesn't that sound great? You know, it's science fiction. It's never going to be that way, unfortunately. You're saying, oh, but that's a downer. No, that's the truth. Because of our sinful nature, our broken nature, our fallen nature, socialism isn't going to work. It never has and never will. Communism never has and never worked. And what makes capitalism fail is human greed. It's humanity's shortcomings that cause issues in the world. And the closer we draw to God and his perfection and holiness, and Jesus Christ is that personified, then yeah, the, the, the more flaws that are going to be revealed. He is like the mirror of society. And people don't want to see that. So the world hates us because of our moral stance. As we're seeking to follow God, the world then is, is panged with guilt because they're not doing that. That's why people get so mad at Christians today. Oh, you're unfair, you're unjust, you're unkind. 
And some Christians, quite frankly, can be obnoxious and mean and holier than thou and hateful. And that's a shame and we shouldn't be that way. But we're even charged with that when we're just living our lives and trying to honor Christ. Because we're not doing the things they do. We don't approve of their habits, their choices, many of their lifestyles. And therefore, we're hated because if we're living as righteous as we can, and, and we're not perfect either, it's not a we are better than they are. Please understand that. Nor is it an us versus them. Don't go there either. Again, let me remind you, it's not an us versus them. It's a God for all of us. All of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. But as we seek to try to live above and beyond that through the power of God's spirit and through the grace of Jesus Christ, those who aren't making that choice become guilty because they feel bad about that. And so therefore, what do they do? They try to cancel us out. They get upset. The world hates us because of our moral stance, because God the Father's message as a mirror reveals those flaws. Not only that, but God the Father's message of morality is rejected because of that. Again, if you look at what Jesus said, he says in verse 25, but this happened that the word might be fulfilled, which is written in their law. They hated me without cause. And there are several Old Testament passages that point to this. For instance, Psalm 35, Psalm 69, Psalm 109. All of those Psalms just in of themselves talk about the fact that the world hated God and his Messiah. And there was no cause. Apparently they had done nothing to harm them. It is because God reveals sin through his white hot holiness and Jesus is the embodiment of God, the flesh stamp of God in this world. And so, yep, the world hates us for our moral stance. And again, let me reiterate and let me reemphasize because I don't want you to walk away with this. We're not any better than anybody else. I'm no better than anybody watching this video. You're no better than me. I'm no better than the person outside in the world, lost in maybe drugs, sexual sin, uh, all kinds of things, whatever. Uh, none, of, none of us are any better. I tell people Christians are just beggars who help other beggars find the food. That is what we are. But the fact of the matter is, as we live for the Lord and honor him, as we walk with Christ, as we are the church, Again, not perfect, but as we yield to him and do that, then yes, we are going to reveal a lifestyle that causes the world to feel guilt, to feel in a sense, and which they should feel rejected, but they also should understand that that rejection can be taken away through faith in Jesus Christ. So the world hates us, folks. I, hate, I would love to be able to tell you the world's going to love us, but there's nothing we can do short of compromising our faith, short of ab abdicating our, our, our walk, short of turning our backs upon Christ that will make the world love us. Yeah, you can go along and get along. Uh, you can just be a nominal Christian and buy into the world's philosophies and, and the world's system, but you're going to shortchange the things of God. You're not going to be fully walking with Jesus Christ. And again, that's why I've said before and I'll say again, walking with Christ, walking with him and following him is not for sissies. It is for the stout of heart because you're going to sometimes be walking alone. But see, the church today, we're trying to get the world to like us. We're trying to get the world to accept us. We want the world to love us and it's not going to happen. The only way they will like us, Jesus said this, is if it were on their terms. If we did the works that they wanted us to do, then they would accept us. If we were of them, they would accept us. 
But this happened that the world might, word might be fulfilled, which is written in me, he says, and in their law about me, they hated me without a cause. I did nothing wrong. Remember, they hated Jesus. They pilloried him. They crucified him. And he had done nothing wrong. He had come to bring a message of love and grace. He had come to bring salvation to all who would believe. And yet they crucified him. His disciples went out as the church was founded and his disciples went out through all the world to preach the gospel. Every disciple except the apostle John was brutally murdered for their faith. They didn't hurt anybody. They didn't steal anything. They didn't badmouth people. They preached the message of salvation by grace through faith, a loving God providing a wondrous home in heaven to all who would believe, and yet they were taken and abused. Now they tried to kill John, but God miraculously uh, saved him, and John died of old age, but it wasn't for lack of effort. So again, the world is going to hate us. That's why we need to love one another. We need each other. Because the world is going to hate us and nothing is going to change that. Nothing's going to make that better. So how should we respond? Well, should we hide in our churches under our steeples behind our stained glass and spit and cower at them? No. Our job is to go out and win the world because yes, he says, do not love the world. He's talking about the world system, the world philosophy, the anti-Christian aspect of the world. But God loves the world's people. And he loves them so much that he sent his son Jesus to die for them. And so our mission in this world is not to get the world to love and accept us. Our mission in this world is get the world to accept the love of God. And so in spite of the fact that they hate us, in spite of the fact that they loathe us, we must never stop loving them. How do we do that? Well, that takes us to our last point. So, yep, the world hates us because of our Savior. It hates us because of our service. It hates us because of our moral stance. But notice this. God provides His Spirit. The Lord helps us through His Spirit as we face this dawning task. Look down in verse 26. He says, but when the Helper comes, who is the Helper? Well, the Helper is the Holy Spirit of God. The Greek word helper there is the Greek word parakletos. It's from two Greek words, para, which means alongside of, and kletos or kaleo, which means to call. The Spirit of God is called alongside us, makes his home in us when we receive Christ as Savior, and he is there to help us. As a matter of fact, let me get you to do something for me, and it's for you, is when you finish this video, sit down and read John chapter 16, the very next chapter, because Jesus will then unpack and unveil the ministry of the helper, the spirit who will come. He will tell you what he's going to be doing. And it's a, it's a he, not a it, because the spirit of God is the third member of the triunity of God, God in the spirit. And he comes to do what? To convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment, to give illumination to the disciples, to give comfort and power and strength. As a matter of fact, we know from, from the book of Acts that when Jesus ascended into heaven, days later the disciples gathered in Jerusalem and God's Spirit fell upon them and He indwelled them and provided them powers and gifts and abilities to serve Him and to, and to, and to go out and preach the gospel. And so, yes, the world hates us because of our Savior. Yes, the world hates us because of our stance and because of our service. 
But in the midst of that, God still loves the world. God still wants us to go out and share the gospel with the world. And because of that, if we're going to be honest and follow Christ, then we must love the world in spite of not being loved by it. And he says this in verse 26 again, but when the helper, the parakletos, the spirit, the, the comforter comes who I shall send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will testify of me. In other words, God's going to send the spirit uh, as a backup of the witness of Christ. The Spirit of God is the one who provided the disciples initially with the written Word of God. It is the Spirit of God now that helps you and I more greatly and thoroughly as we yield to Him understand the Word of God. It's the Spirit of God that leads us into all wisdom. The Spirit of God, He comes to back up our witness, to back up the Spirit's witness. He, he's a witness of Christ Himself. And as we walk with Christ and as we yield to him, he will give us spiritual gifts and abilities. We talked about those several weeks ago. He gives us insight and illumination in the word. He gives us comfort and buoys us up when we struggle. So the backup of the spirit's witness is what we experience. So yes, in the midst of being hated by the world, God gives us strength to go out and do what he's called us to do out of love for the world. Not only that, but he builds up our witness as well. Look what he says in verse 27. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. The spirit of God will further energize his disciples who were with him personally, and they were able to do great things. Go back and look at Peter. You know, soon after this, in just four chapters, Peter is going to be cowering. He's going to be hiding and he's going to be denying the crucified Savior. Peter denied him three times. The disciples, when Jesus was hanging on the cross, they were hiding away in the, in, in the upper room where they had the, the communion service. They were fearful. They were frightened. But after Jesus had risen from the dead and after the Spirit had come and ascended upon them and began to indwell in them, they turned the world upside down with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as I said earlier, to a man, they were persecuted, hounded, tortured, and killed, except for John. But he was, they tried for their love for Christ and their love for a world that hated them. And so that's our relationship with the world. Our relationship with God is a relationship of nourishment, of sustenance to make us fruitful. Our relationship with one another is a relationship built upon love and mutual submission. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. That's how Jesus loved us. That's how we must love one another. And our relationship with the world, unfortunately, involves hatred. The world hates us because of our Savior. It's nothing about us personally. He, the world hates us because of our Savior, and it's not going to change until they come to know our Savior. They hate us because of our service, because it causes them to feel guilty, because they're not honoring God with their lives. They hate us because of our moral stance, because we're seeking righteousness as opposed to unrighteousness, and it causes pangs of guilt. Again, we're no better than the world. I stand as a sinner saved by grace. So do you if you're a believer. And if you're an unbeliever, listen, I beg you to trust Jesus as Savior. He loves you. I love you. I want you to come to know the Savior that I love. I want you to come to know the Savior that I know. But nonetheless, this is what it is. This world, they hate us. But God's Spirit has been given to help us 
God's Spirit was given to bolster the witness of Christ and to, boltus, bolt it, to, to help those who witness for Christ. And so we go back to that question. Well, if God says, love not the world, how do we reconcile that with John 3.16? Well, look at John 3.16 and verse 17. He says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We know that. Yes, God does love the world. He hates the world's system of rebellion and sin. He hates the world's system of selfishness and, and envy. But he loves the world. He loves the people of the world. We are not to associate ourselves with the philosophies and systems of the world. The world's going to hate us for that. But we are to go out into the world as we go to work, as we go to school, as we go uh, shopping, go out to play sports, whatever we do. We should be ready always to share the gospel. Why? Because God does love the world. He loves them so much that he gave his only son, Jesus, so that whosoever would believe in him, trust in him, they would not perish but have everlasting life. To the extent where it says in verse 17, forget God didn't send his son into the world to, con to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Oh my goodness, the world hates us. And trying to be like the world isn't going to change that. Trying to appease the world isn't going to change that. Trying to soften our message or trying to hide our faith under a bushel isn't going to change that. What's going to change that is when they come to know Jesus as their Savior and they fall in love with Him. When they fall in love with Him, then you'll have a loving brother or sister in Jesus Christ. So what do we do? We have a relationship with God. We have a relationship with others. That's why discipleship is so important, but we have to do it God's way because the world hates us. But he said in Mark chapter 15, or chapter 16, verse 15, go into all the world and preach the gospel. You're going to sometimes get ridiculed. You're going to sometimes get persecuted. You're sometimes, most of the time, probably going to get hated. But we're to do it anyway because God loves the world regardless of their hatred for Him or for His Son or for His Spirit. And so we must love them as well. So go into all the world. Go to school. Go to work. Go to class. Go to the store. And as you're going, share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You for the time we've had together today. We thank You for the love of Jesus Christ. We thank You that, Lord, in the vineyard we have a relationship with the Father, with You. And may that relationship be nourishing and loving so we can bear fruit. We thank you that we have a, a, a relationship with one another in, in the vineyard, our brothers and sisters in Christ. And may we love each other with a sacrificial love. And Father, even though the world hates us, we are to have a relationship with them. But we're not to go out in hatred, we're to go out in love. And despite the fact that they are uh, hate us, we, we love them and help us to be loving to them and share with them the gospel. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege of doing that. Bless these who are listening. Give us a good week till we gather again in Jesus' name. Amen. Take care. Bye-bye. For additional sermon resources and to find out who we are, visit us online at westconcordchurch.com. Thanks for listening.